Trading at Schwab is now powered by Ameritrade, unlocking the power of Thinkorswim, the award-winning trading platforms loaded with features that let you dive deeper into the market. Visualize your trades in a new light on Thinkorswim Desktop with robust charting and analysis tools, all while you uncover new opportunities with up-to-the-minute market news and insights. Thinkorswim is available on desktop, web, and mobile to meet you where you are. It's built by the trading obsessed to help you trade brilliantly. Learn more at schwab.com slash trading. The less your business spends, the more margin you keep. But today, everything costs more. So smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one proven platform, helping you reduce IT costs, maintenance costs, and manual errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash earnings right now. NetSuite.com slash earnings. Global Business News, 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio, this is a Bloomberg Business Flash. From Bloomberg World Headquarters, I'm Charlie Pellet. The Brexit selling continues on this Monday. The Dow, the S&P, NASDAQ all declining. Let's head right over the first word, breaking news desk for today's afternoon call. And here he is, Bill Maloney. Good afternoon, Charlie. That's right. The Brexit fallout continues with the Dow currently down 298 points. S&Ps dropped 41 and NASDAQ declines 123. The S&P 500 dropped back below the 200-day moving average for the first time since March. Over in Europe, Germany and France each fell 3%. Italy slipped 3.9%. The United Kingdom was cut to double A from AAA by S&P. Back in the U.S., the small cap 600 falls 22 points, and the U.S. 10 yield dropped to 1.46%. Eight out of 10 SB sectors are lowered, led by losses in financials, materials, and energy. Utilities and telecom gained. Dow Transports fall 3.2%, and as a dropped 80 points, and the VIX is down by 9.4%. Leaders to the downside in the Dow included American Express, DuPont, and J.P. Morgan, Small gains for Verizon and J&J. Western Digital sank 12%. Seagate dropped 10%, while Dr. Pepper Snapple outperformed, gaining 4%. Live from the First to Breaking News Desk, I'm Bill Maloney. Charlie? All right. Thank you very much, Bill. And to hear live breaking news over your Bloomberg type squawk, SQUAWK on your terminal. I'm Charlie Pellet. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. You're listening to Taking Stock with Kathleen Hayes and Pim Fox on Bloomberg Radio. Stocks selling off in the United States, around the world for that matter. Second day in a row, the bond market is on fire, certainly the U.S. Treasury market with the 30-year bond up about three points today, the yield down below 2.3%. I could go on and on about the big moves in these markets. Is this going to last? Are markets overreacting or are we heading for some kind of crisis that could keep markets upended for a while and economies as well? Joining me now right here in our New York studio is Brendan Brown. He's chief economist at MUFG in London. That's ground zero for the Brexit vote, but he's here in New York with us today. Brendan, welcome to the show. Thank you. So uh, let's start with the market reaction. Is it overdone? It's difficult to say it's overdone because there are some really bad scenarios out there. Um, and one in particular we, we see focused on is the possibility of some sort of Italian banking meltdown. And, of course, given the 
possibility would be euro or EU may not even be here in a few years' time. It's reasonable if a euro falls in value, dollar stronger, and, and a big spike in the dollar is, is not such great news for U.S. corporate profits. So there is some, there is some um, rhythm behind this. Uh, you wrote quite... Uh Quite markedly, quite uh, impressively, something I think everyone's been wondering about in a recent note, actually on Friday, that the UK referendum result is not a Lehman moment. It's not 2008 all over again, if I may put some words in your mouth, but it is the start of a European journey away from the failure of the EU. How do you know when something is a Lehman moment or when it isn't? Well, a Lehman moment would be characterized by terrific liquidity pressures. And what we're not seeing um, today or Friday is a shortage of liquidity. What we are seeing is a fairly, I, I think, judicious repricing um, of assets um, to take account of some of the dangers ahead along a route which may as end up well for Europe and, and the world economy, but there are dangers from getting here to that final destination. If this is the beginning of a European journey away from the failure of the EU, is it your conclusion, is it your view that however painful Brexit may be, it is the right path for the UK to take? I, I would put it this way, that the, the EU had failed in three or four fundamental respects, um, didn't deliver prosperity. It delivered uh, monetary failure. It increased political, geopolitical instability. And it, did, it didn't deliver political democracy. So the UK, in deciding um, to move away from that, um, there, were, there were very powerful grounds and, and, and reasons for hoping that a better future would lie going along an independent route and that that independence may in turn shock Europe into something better. Now, none of this is for certain. There are dangers and ultimately people have to decide themselves as to whether the risks are worth the candle of the journey. But there were definite reasons for for thinking along that way and, and, and hoping for a better future. You just mentioned the possibility of a banking meltdown in Italy. And, of course, the, the weakness of their banks has been an issue for some time. Uh, France has its own issues, strikes and, you know, struggles with its economy. Angela Merkel now is going to be left without the U.K. in the E.U., two of major, major partners within the EU with their own difficulties. How does she respond? What does all this mean for her future? Well, I think the pressures on, on Angela Merkel are tremendous from inside the German political system. Even ahead of this, we saw support for the anti-Euro party rising, where they were getting 15% of a vote in recent regional elections. And given the Philip now of seeing the UK having voted for Brexit, um, one can only imagine that support is going to rise, particularly as without for UK budgetary contributions and, as you say, Germany on its own, the prospects are Germany is going to be having to finance this much more than previously um, relative to the other partners. So as the anti-euro vote grows, I would imagine that the pressures within Merkel's own party, CDU, for Merkel to take a harder line on European bailouts and on immigration is going to increase. So ultimately, because the CDU does not want to see more and more support being taken away by the far right, they have to get some of that support back ahead of elections next year. So Merkel's going to either have to go along with this mood of a harder line towards the ECB, not so many bailouts, more more control of immigration, or 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 yield power. And And I think that's what we're going to see. And that does open up of course, a conflict with the rest of the EU and, and with France, 
And I, I, I would imagine the tensions are going to grow on that critical access between France and Germany. I'd like to get one more quick question before we continue this conversation. Just a moment. What's the worst outcome in all of this for the financial markets right now? Uh, the, the worst outcome I could imagine in the in terms of the next few weeks would be an Italian type um, banking meltdown and concern that um, because of the German situation we described, there isn't going to be for support for that. We're going to continue this uh, fascinating conversation with Brendan Brown, Chief Economist at MUFG in London. Joining me in our New York studios today here at Bloomberg World Headquarters, Italy, the Spanish elections, the Bank of Japan trying to cope with a surgent yen that causes great difficulties for them as they try to stimulate the Japanese economy. All this and more coming up. I'm Kathleen Hayes, taking stock on Bloomberg Radio. Bloomberg Taking Stock is brought to you by Bentley University. What do rebooting America's oldest ski shop and crunching numbers at Vistaprint have in common? An MBA from Bentley University that prepares graduates to innovate and lead because businesses everywhere prepare here. Broadcasting live to New York, Bloomberg 1130, to Washington, D.C., Bloomberg 991, to Boston, Bloomberg 1200, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Radio Plus app and Bloomberg.com. This is Taking Stock. I'm Kathleen Hayes, my co-host Pim Fox on vacation. The Brexit vote, a political earthquake sending reverberations across Europe around the world. We're going to be looking at Italy, Japan, and more right here on Bloomberg Radio. Now we're going to toss it on over to Charlie Pellet. He's in the newsroom with a Bloomberg Business Flash. Thank you very much, Kathleen Hayes. Those aftershocks include continue selling in the U.S. equity market with the Dow, the S&P, and NASDAQ all extending Friday's declines. Right now, the S&P 500 index down 43 points at 1994, a drop of 2.1%. Those aftershocks reverberating across financial markets after a weekend of political turmoil. The pound extending its record sell-off. Right now, we've got the uh, NASDAQ composite Index down 128, declining 2.7%. Dow Industrials down 302, a drop of 1.7%. S&P down 2.1%. The 10-year up 31.30 seconds, looking at the yield now of 1.45%. Gold up 980 the ounce now to 13.32, a gain there of 7 tenths of 1%. A Bloomberg exclusive this morning as we sat down with the former chairman of the Federal Reserve, Alan Greenspan. He was on Bloomberg Surveillance. He talked at length about last week's U.K. referendum and what it means for the future of the United Kingdom. We're going to get very soon a significant uh, renewal of the referendum on Scotland, and I'm almost certain it's going to pass. It was part of a Bloomberg Breakfast conversation hosted by Bloomberg 99.1 in Washington, D.C. So again, taking a look at what's happening with U.S. markets, we've got crude oil slumping 2.3% down 110 a barrel, 46.55 right now on West Texas Intermediate Crude. Brent is at 47.32, a drop there of 2.3%. And the S&P 500 index down 41 to 19.95, a drop of 2%. Dow Industrials now down 295, a decline of 1.7%. At 3.32 on Wall Street. Now, let's take a look at other news from around the world, right here on Bloomberg Radio. 
Thank you, Charlie. From the Bloomberg Newsroom, I'm Jill Schneider. This news update is brought to you by the Jeep Grand Cherokee, the most awarded SUV ever. The Grand Cherokee continues to raise the bar with its luxurious interior and legendary 4x4 capability. Drive one at your local Jeep dealer today. British Prime Minister David Cameron says the U.K. will not trigger formal EU exit talks at this stage. He says the referendum result is, quote, not the outcome I think is best for Britain, but says the result must be respected and implemented in the best possible way. Britain is leaving the European Union, but we must not turn our back on Europe or on the rest of the world. The nature of the relationship we secure with the EU will be determined by the next government. But I think everyone has agreed that we will want the strongest possible economic links with our European neighbours, as well as with our close friends in North America, the Commonwealth and important partners like India and China. Cameron says there will be no immediate changes for EU citizens now living in the UK. Hillary Clinton on the campaign trail in Cincinnati today took the stage in a first joint appearance with Elizabeth Warren. Clinton praised the Massachusetts senator while offering a harsh critique of Donald Trump. She exposes him for what he is temperamentally unfit and totally unqualified to be president of the United States. Senator Warren called Clinton a fighter who has never backed down. The Stonewall Inn has officially claimed its spot in American history. The site of the 1969 riots that launched the gay rights movement was recognized as a national monument in a ceremony today. Global News 24 hours a day, powered by more than 2,600 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. From the Bloomberg Newsroom, I'm Jill Schneider. This is Bloomberg. Charlie. And we thank you. And again, recapping a 40-point loss now for the S&P 500 index at 1997, down 2%. I'm Charlie Pellet. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. You're listening to Taking Stock with Kathleen Hayes and Pim Fox on Bloomberg Radio. The problem with any kind of big move in markets, particularly when you see a move like the British pound, where it fell, uh, had its biggest drop on Friday since uh, 1985. Uh, the Japanese yen on Friday also coming within six yen of the point where Prime Minister Abe jumped in with his three-pronged stimulus plan three years ago. The problem is that you really don't know what one move can mean for the markets more broadly. And as the Brexit vote reverberates across Europe, I'm continuing my conversation with Brendan Brown. He's chief economist at MUFG. Brendan, you just mentioned Italy and its banks. This has been a festering problem, but it seemed like it like it kind of float along, right, with the rest of the EU. But the bank stocks in many countries, but particularly in Europe, have gotten hammered. What does this mean for Italy? What's going to happen? Well, Italy, in many ways, is the most exposed banking system to sovereign debt and also to bad loans. And uh, Italy's been gaining from the fact uh, that it, of the QE operations by the ECB and all the cheap funding. In fact, many German voters are sort of cynical that Draghi, in his position as ECB chief, has been using the ECB basically to help Italy. And, and that's true to a considerable extent when, when, when you look at the numbers. So now with the pressures being very much towards EU disintegration and possibly a harder German line, as we were discussing a few minutes ago, on ECB funding. The question really does rise as to whether this Italian situation is sustainable um, or whether the banks uh, are going to have to face a much harder environment. What could that mean for Italy? What could it mean for the EU? Is this what you're going to see? Are these the kind of stresses that pull the EU together because somehow they all come together and help Italy? Or are these the kind of things that pull it further apart? I think in the present climate, it would pull apart. 
um, because the German electorate is all very, already very tense and upset about the amount of funds which have gone onto this project and seeing the British example of being able to walk away with it, or walk away from it, the question is whether, why shouldn't Germany be able to do the same thing? There's certainly a loud voice in Germany over the years saying just that. Let's look at the Bank of Japan. Last night in the in New York, uh, early in the morning in Asia, we learned that there was an emergency meeting being held with the Bank of Japan, Prime Minister Abe and his many of his members of his cabinet to look at uh, this, this stress on the yen and what it could mean for their markets. What does this surge in the yen mean for their economy, for their policy going ahead? Well, what one has to realize, first of all, is that Japan has a huge net investment position in European bonds that Japanese investors over the last 10 years or more have basically been piling into the so-called high-coupon European bond markets. So when they see anything like this happen and the unknowns as to how the Brexit's going to emerge, they all rush to hedge. And so you've seen tremendous upward pressure on the um, yen due to this hedging by Japan um, institutions. Now, on top of that, when you get the yen rising, this is bad news for the Japanese stock market. And the stock market fall in turn increases risk aversion and in, in turn that means less capital leaving Japan. So there's sort of a, a sort of a whole vicious circle here developing. Um, and of course RB economics is founded on the two principles of using monetary policy to boost the stock market and to depreciate, depreciate the yen, both of which now have gone completely in reverse. Um, I don't, I, I, if you ask me what's going to happen, I think at some stage there's going to be intervention by, by the government of Japan. Currency market intervention. Currency market intervention, but it's so important to stop all of this. And Will it work unilaterally? If it's own, does the G7 I, have I, to join them? I, I think ultimately the, the, their first intention would have been to do this jointly with the United States, but there's really no prospect of the U.S. joining in, in any intervention. So Japan would do this um, unilaterally. Dollar, gold, what does all this mean? Keep buying, piling into the, piling into the gold? Uh, what about the dollar? Well, Buy gold, the dollar? You have to, gold, you have to think that here the second biggest currency in the world, euro, is now now it's an EU currency, and yet we don't know where the EU is headed or whether the EU will even be here, according to some extreme scenarios within a few years if we really see pressure between Germany and France building up. So that 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 means that investors should uh, – that we're no longer in a multi-currency universe anymore. They, they have to think seriously that the only alternative to the dollar is gold. So it makes sense that gold is pushed up here as, as a result of these happening. And, and the dollar, of course, gains as being the only fiat money, which um, is not negative interest rates and doesn't face some sort of existential risk or exploding budget deficit risk such as we have in Japan. Brendan Brown, for investors, are we going to look back in five years and say, wow, that, that's when it really all turned, that's when it was the beginning sort of, of the, not the end of the world, but still big, big negative moment for markets, uh, you know, between the Brexit vote, between negative, $8.7 trillion worth of negative bond yields around the world. Is this an ominous sign? I think the ominous, most ominous sign I would look at in, in recent uh, months has been the steady decline in Tokyo. I mean, Tokyo is the second biggest equity market in the world, and it's, it's crashed by around 30%. That has to be a warning, because very often when you look at global asset price deflation, it's, it doesn't all start at once everywhere. You normally get a, lead, a leader at the same time as other markets may still be going up. 
And I think that's what we've seen in the first six months of this year, but it does make one much more anxious, I think, about what follows. Brendan Brown, but, you know, you're less anxious if you have a sense of what might be coming because you can prepare for it. Thank you so much for joining us. Brendan Brown is chief U.S. economist, excuse me, he's chief economist at MUFG based in London. Joining me, Kathleen Hayes on Taking Stock on Bloomberg Radio today. Bloomberg Taking Stock is brought to you by Bentley University. We are filling to tell you a moment of the coming up on Bloomberg Radio, which is a look at the stock market right here. Osage County, Oklahoma is getting a lot of attention right now. It's the setting of Martin Scorsese's latest film, Killers of the Flower Moon. The movie is based on a book about the 1920s Osage murders when white men poured into Osage County and killed Osage people for their oil wealth. I'm Rachel Adams-Hurd, the host of In Trust, a podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartMedia. For over a year, I was reporting a different story about other ways white people got Osage land and wealth and how a prominent ranching family in Osage County became one of the biggest landowners here. Their ranching empire was built on land that at the turn of the century was all owned by the Osage Nation. So how'd they get it? Listen to the award-winning podcast, In Trust, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 